please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. It's Friday, January 29th, 2016, and time now for the Elder Law Report this Friday. With us today is Hayden Soloway, Greg McIntyre, who will be with us shortly via the telephone from New York City, I believe it is, uh, and right now we'll turn it over to Hayden hosting the show today. Good morning, Hayden. How you doing Good there? morning, Milton. Good to have you uh, with us and this first time you've hosted the show by yourself? It is. All it right. is. And I'm glad here to have Sharon Martin with me. Sharon Martin is from Hospice, and she has mm-hmm. uh, some very interesting stories to tell, and she's going to talk to everybody about some of the things that they may have misperceptions about hospice. Hospice, right. Okay. And we're going to be phoning Greg and getting him on remotely if you okay. want to go ahead and, yeah, go and ahead do that get him on okay let's see if we can find greg out there in the big city somewhere let me find my phone number here all right just give us one second folks and we'll see if we can find mr greg can you hear over there hayden Open it up right now. <laughs> Hello, Greg. You've reached the voicemail services of Greg McIntyre. Okay. Uh-huh. Please leave we'll your name. We'll try that again in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll try Greg back then. If he's okay. going not answer his phone like that. Put us, leave us hanging on a wire here. That's right. He must have gotten a call because he knew we were going to be calling. Yeah. Well, Sharon, tell me how you became involved with hospice. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how it evolved and grew. So I'll just turn it over to you for a moment. Thank you. I'd just like to say to you that I appreciate you and Greg for allowing me to speak about hospice, which is definitely one of my passions. Um, Six years ago, um, our CEO, Myra McGinnis, and Vice President Patty McMurray determined that the African-American community in Cleveland County was not using hospice services as they would like. And so what I learned after being hired that this discussion went on for about 10 years, um, just trying to think of a way to engage the African-American community Mm -hmm. with hospice services. Um, So they came up with looking for an African-American, and it's a long, detailed story, which I don't nearly have time to talk about. Um, Actually, I was hired at the age of 62. I will be 68 this year. Uh, I was retiring, going to retire. I was just laid off from a mental health agency, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to retire, because my background is social services and mental health, uh, and also in ministry. So 
later on, I learned I was the one they were looking for, but I was not the one that wanted to work. So they actually had a hard time even trying to get me to come in for an interview. Um, um, a friend of mine called me and he said, uh, Sharon, there's a um, job at hospice that has your name on it. That job is perfect for you. So you came out and, of retirement. Uh, Actually came out of retirement because we have that in common. Yes, came out of retirement, and so uh, it was Bishop Michael Moore, and he said that job is yours. And I said, "Thank you, Bishop Moore, but I'm not going to work." And I hung the phone up, and so um, not quite that rudely, but I was like, "You know, I ain't even talking about this." So anyway, he calls back a couple of days later and says, "Sharon." Seriously, that job is definitely for you. And I said, I'm not I'm not interested in working. I'm not going to work. I'm going to be the uh, grandmother to my two grandchildren. I'm just going to go to their school and enjoy life, helping them out in school. Anyway, um, make a long story short, finally, after the third call, uh, just out of respect for him, I decided to go. Uh, and talk to Patty McMurray at hospice about the position. Um, I was hired in 20 minutes after uh, just talking to Patty. I actually filled out the application in her office. So uh, that's how I became a part of the hospice family. So it was a very challenging position um, because many people, not only African Americans, they just had this great fear of hospice services. for some reason, well, they don't understand end-of-life care. So that became a challenge to be able just to talk to the uh, community in general about what uh, end-of-life care was. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, look at hospice as a place, but hospice is not a place. And that's what I really want the audience to understand. Hospice is a concept of care. Just like the hospital is a concept of care, the hospital has a name, uh, but hospice is a concept of care. And that is that we try to make a person's um, life more comfortable as they uh, go toward death. But what's so unique about uh, hospice care is that we help the entire family, just not the patient. Uh, If we go into a person's home and we see that there's a great need, maybe a power bill needs to be paid, maybe a a family doesn't have um, food in the home, whatever that family needs, then that's what uh, we will try to provide for the family. So it's like holistic care. We take care of everybody that's involved. Well, I want to talk to you in a minute, um, and uh, the audience probably wants to hear a lot about uh, the services that you provide. I just assumed that hospice was a place where you go when you stay and you spend your final day surrounded by your family in comfort. So you're going to be educating me as well as everyone else. I've got Greg McIntyre on the line, the elder law guy, and he's going to remotely broadcast from New York City. Greg, are you at the top of the Empire State Building? Oh, I mean, right now, I just came out of the Lincoln Tunnel, okay? And in the Manhattan, all right? That's why so we that's got the busy signal. Are we live on the radio right now? We are live, yeah. live from Man, New York City. Uh, live, for, live from New York, it's the elder law guy. So, <laughs> yes. um, hey, great to hear from everybody, or great to talk to everyone out there. Hope you're having a good Friday. I'll tell you what, New York now has some snow up here, and, uh, you know, we were flown up. We're headed straight to Trump Plaza right now, 
Donald Trump needs some estate planning advice, and uh, and you know, it, it gave me a call, so we thought we'd come up and help out. I think that's a great idea. And I have Sharon Martin here, and, and we'll have her on in a few minutes. Uh, tell us how you're planning in New York City. I'll tell you what. Well, no, in all seriousness, my 16-year-old turned 16 this past week. I turned a, a year older as well. So we decided we'd just come up um, and, and kind of a rite of passage thing for him. We'd spend some time together, brought my wife up here to hang out. And it's just enormous. I'm, I'm really overwhelmed by the size of the city on this little island uh, of Manhattan and just the enormous wealth, the enormous planning. Uh, I mean, Hayden, how much planning went into building Manhattan into the center of the world, the Rome of today? I don't know, but I can only imagine uh, the years of seeing uh workers all over that city building those buildings and building the roads and digging the tunnels for the subways it must have been the most bustling pace place imaginable hey i wrote an article just kind of based on this this morning and we're still editing that out a little bit but that'll be up uh, shortly on social media and uh, and it'll go out on our, our e-newsletter to the client or to our, to our e-newsletter audience next next week and it's also going to be in the WhatsApp Shopper, okay? So look for it in the WhatsApp Shopper. And it's called Build Your Empire, and that's really what I was thinking about coming up here. I mean, I was, you know, you know when you get on a plane, I don't know if anybody else does this or not, but I don't really have a fear of flying, but there's always those anxious moments before you take off where things go through your head and you just feel a little tense. And, uh, you know, I was thinking and writing, and I started writing, man, you know, what do I have in place? Well, I've got my foundations in place, right? And that... That gives me peace of mind, and I've got my health care power of attorney, my general durable power of attorney, my living will, and my will. So no matter what happens to me, that something, you know, somebody would be able to take care of my personal business, my family, and, and things would pass the way I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of every generation having to start over. And, and, and I was thinking about foundations as it relates to, the, you know, the, you talk about building your empire, the empire states building or, or any of these other large monstrosities up here and and you know you got to have a foundation for a building like that how deep do you think those foundations are for those large building tapes really and uh talking about deep and and firm foundations new york is built on rock otherwise it would sink so that yeah, there's even yeah. a foundation there yeah so, so you got to have that in place you got to have a foundation or a firm foundation in place even to build upon it and, and you know in, in relating to saving assets, which is what we do, and helping preserve your asset and legacies for seniors, you know, it just seemed uh, appropriate that New York, even though, you know, it's been through facelifts in the past, okay, and fires, I'm sure, and struggles, and, and uh, uh, you know, everything else back from when it was New Amsterdam, but, but, uh, but every generation has built upon the past generation. You could not have a city this size, you could not have the Rome of today in the United States. If, if people here and city planners and wealthy individuals that gained wealth, uh, you know, and worked hard, could not pass that down, okay? It's not only and, and could not people. build upon the past, the past uh, foundations of the buildings of of the plan. Uh, 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 you know, you just couldn't build something this size and build this little empire called Manhattan. So. You know, and why 
as a middle class or as, as the American public, are we not all doing foundational planning like that, even for for ourselves and our families? And we should be. We ought to be. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's those were the things I thought about. Those were what mm-hmm. I ended up expounding on and writing about. Yeah, uh, when you come into New York City and, the, and all of that's out your plane window, uh, it, the awesome no, it does take you back to when there was nothing there and how did it get there and not only the wealthy families but the shop owners who had a nice solid business were able to uh, leave their uh, businesses to their children who grew it into maybe a Macy's or a Bloomingdale's or uh, something like that so I mean everything grows that, that's how you build that's how you build an empire like that or a business or a, a strong right you know stronger family build a stronger family from generation to generation yeah. is being able to protect your assets and Hayden, as you know, what are the what's the biggest threat that seniors uh, have on their plate right now? Well, they're looking at their health and the deterioration of their health and possible need for in-home care or nursing home care. That's that's my biggest fear. And it's the biggest expense that stems down the wealth that you could pass on to your children yeah, if you plan appropriately. Plus dollars a year that can eat up a, a nice um, nest egg for your children very quickly. It really can. And I'm sure Sharon's going to talk about the foundations of hospice and, you know, how uh, she began growing a certain segment of the population. And uh, so you you start small and and build. Hey, Sharon, you know, this, this town, New York City, Manhattan, was built on pioneers, built on, uh, you know, mavericks who, who were not scared to be bold and think big. And that's something that Sharon does. Hey, Sharon, how are you doing? Hi, Greg. How you doing? I wish I was in New York with you. Did I? Man, you should come with me. Let's go with me next month. Let's go back. That's right. Tell Myra that, please. Okay, I will. I will. She can um, ride up with you know, me when I go see Mark. Okay. Hey, I'm, I'm thrilled to bring um, to everybody today Sharon with, with hospice. I mean, you're such a – I consider you a celebrity and, and, and a maverick on your own. And I think – uh, and and what I understand has been held up at maybe your Chicago conference last year as a national example of how to extend hospice care and really really uh, reach a ton of families, especially in the minority community where there has been a stigma in the past. Isn't that right? Um, yes, Greg. W- what had happened that led up to the Chicago and the Nashville, Tennessee experience was the words start getting around with other hospices that the census, which is the admission rate in Cleveland County, escalated from 17% to 52% in the African-American community. So all the other hospices, when they heard it, they were like, what What did you do? Let's just Cleveland review County those numbers. Before, it was 17%. 17. With minority communities. Yes, let let me add this too, Greg. On a national level, only 8% of the African-American community uses hospice services. So actually, we're at 52%, which is an amazing number even on the national level. That's an amazing number, period. And I'm sure you went from 17% to 52%, and a lot of that has to do with the overall hospice plan here in Shelby, which is a superstar program, and mainly also you are a main player in doing that and the outreach person 
for that community. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. That that is correct. Um, I took a lot of hard knocks uh, when you when you go out in the community and start talking about uh, hospice. Immediately, people of all races think, "Okay, we're dying tomorrow. Mama's dying. Papa's yeah. dying tomorrow." But that is not the case. We even now have a patient at our Wendover facility that's been with us three years. And so it can go into long-term care. It can go into short-term care. But what I like to tell people to get the most out of hospice services, as soon as the, the physician, your physician says, to you or to the family, I only think uh, Sharon has six more months to live. That's when the family should really um, uh, start seeking out hospice, hospice services. So the family and the loved one can get the full benefits of hospice services. Well, um, I mean, I think hospice does an amazing job. I know, I know, you know, we've, talked to hospice on our show before but not you and i really wanted to have you on i was so thrilled that hayden was able to to get in touch with you and you agreed to come on the show um you know and i I just can't say enough how i think that i'll tell you what's amazing about cleveland county and shelby north carolina is it's absolutely unreal what great services we have there in every single different type of industry related to senior care um and I mean nationwide beacons from life enrichment and Susie Kennedy to you and 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 hospice um, and and I just can't applaud you enough for being held up as a nationwide model of how to convert uh, and reach a, a a population you know any population and take it from seventeen percent to uh, over fifty percent. That's that's just impressive, and you deserve. Um, you know all the praise you can get for that, um, and and how many people and and how many people is that helping? I mean, you've got to be helping so many more families now than when you started. Well, actually, when I started, and and let me say this to to the audience, um, people think that we only have uh, probably we serve 24 patients a day because we have two facilities, which is the place that people are at. Uh, and that's Wendover in Shelby and the Testa Family House in Kings Mountain. Well, the total patient load with those two facilities are only 24 patients. So then my question uh, that I propose to people when I'm doing talks and presentations how many people, how many patients do you think we serve per day? And people just kind of look at me with a puzzle in their face, and then I'll say, um, just get, throw out a number, and they'll start 40. Then they'll get to 60. I'll say higher, 80, higher, 100, higher. So we play this little higher, low game. And so finally when someone says 150, then that's when I stop because that's exactly uh, how many patients we serve per day. 150. Last year, in 2015, we went all the way up to 190 patients. Well, that's because we serve people in their homes, and that's why a lot of people a lot of people do not understand that. Hospice is a hospital on wheels. We go into a person's home. We set up a bedroom, a living room, just like a hospital facility. We bring a hospital bed. We have the nurses, the, uh, the CMA2s. We 
have a chaplain, a grief counselor, a social worker that makes up the team. So six people are working with this family in their home to take care of their loved one. Because a lot of people just want to die at home if they think they're dying. So that's what we do. We just go into the home, make everybody feel comfortable, wonderful. We take the burden off of the family so they can spend all of their time with mama, daddy, their sister, and just be there for the loved one to love on them um, as the process of dying increases. So that's the main thing I want to say. We take care of 150 to 170 patients per day. Which is unreal. Don't think that hospice is just the hospice house in Kings Mountain and the hospice facility in Shelby. It's so much bigger than that. It reaches the entire county. Um, and, and, you know, I can't, you know, so you're, you're ministering really and administering care to, you know, much more than that over a yearly basis, right? I mean, just, just, you know, lots of people. And, and just like Little House on the Prairie, what I, what I say is I make house calls. You guys are really in the home, right? The doctor comes out to the home or the nurses, right? The hospice workers come out to the home and, and, and don't just care for the individual who may be suffering. But really, and I've talked to some, some hospice uh, uh, workers and, and, and administration before, it's so much more than that. You're really ministering and, and, and helping the spouse, and the family as well. Isn't that right? Yes, that's correct. And how I found out about hospice on a personal level was that 30 years ago in Akron, Ohio, uh, where my parents were and where I was raised, my mother called me one day as my father had um, terminal... Uh, colon cancer. And she said, Sharon, I'm going to allow agency to come in and help me call hospice. Well, at that time, I was in Greensboro, North Carolina. And this is what I said to mother. What is good for you is good for me. I, I, I'd heard about hospice, but didn't understand the philosophy, of course, because that was almost 30 years ago. And so um, as I would travel back and forth to Akron to visit my parents, I saw firsthand how the hospice staff would come in and um, take care of my dad, give him a bath, do whatever is necessary to take the relief from my mother. So that was what was so comforting to me because my parents had been married for 52 years and my mother was not going to leave my dad. And so my dad was at home and hospice services came in. And after my father died, this is what I said to my mother one day when we were talking. If I ever have any money to contribute to any organization, it would be Hospice Akron, Ohio. Later did I know I'd be working for a Hospice Shelby, North Carolina. So that's a great comfort to myself. Well, how are you and not just work, not just working there, but expanding it so much, expanding yes. its reach in the community. How are you? How are you funded? Where, who pays? And okay, I'm so glad you asked because Myron McGinnis is hey, really before you answer that, can I, can I ask another question? Yes. I, I, sorry, hey. Let me sure. Hey, you know LeBron? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, God, y'all won't believe this. <laughs> my my ex-husband's family lived on the same street as LeBron growing up. Exactly. And it wasn't yeah. even a street. It was an alley. He didn't grow up on right. a street. He grew up on a little road off the side. It wasn't even called a street. It was called an alley. His grandmother raised him. So, um uh, that's that's what we know about Le- LeBron James. 
Yeah, yeah. My son, who's 16, and a real or a huge Cavs fan and LeBron fan. I just said when you said that, he said, "That's where LeBron's from." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, hey, he could buy that whole street down, couldn't he? Uh, well, it is. I don't. Even, I think there's at that time. You know what? There was only six houses on the street. Like I say, it wasn't even called a street. It was an alley. <laughs> but LeBron James is very humble, very giving back to Akron, Ohio. That's well, good. Good. So I'm sorry, Hayden. You were talking about how how an individual who needs hospice care, a family who needs hospice care, because they they minister to the whole family. How could they uh, afford it, or how could they pay for it? Was that your question? Yes. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. And if they are serving 150 people, uh, how many workers do they have? And and I'm looking at at how I, I know that they do fundraisers and things like that, but I know that can't possibly come close to. Uh, paying the bill. So tell us about that. Okay, well, we're actually nonprofit, so we do rely on the generosity of the community. But what I, I really want everyone to know if the uh, person has Medicare, excuse me, <clears throat> Medicare, 100% of their hospice services are paid for by Medicare. So we will never ask that patient to pay any money out of pocket. As long as they got that red, white, and blue card, all of their hospice expenses are paid for. On the other side, even if a family doesn't have the money to pay for whatever is needed, the donations, the generosity of uh, people in Cleveland County, like the Testa family, they're going to make sure, and other families that have uh, made yearly contributions uh, and donations, we make sure a family gets the same care as if they had a million dollars as compared to they only had one dollar. So everybody gets the same care no matter what. Well, that, I mean, Hayden, that's, you know, that's right along with our entire philosophy of, and, and just fits right into to, to, uh helping seniors protect their assets and legacies, keeping them in control of their assets, and providing them the best health care options possible. And, I mean, I know firsthand and from having many, many clients and families who have dealings with hospice, and you guys are always so kind to us. Let us use your facility up there to do events every once in a while, like you can do, and, uh, and, and you, know, you know, so that what, hospice is just a blessing to the community. It, uh, it, it's head and shoulders above. And it's different from a lot, of, a lot of other things out there and options out there. How about that? Right. Um, I don't want to let time run out before Sharon gets to talk about Hearts for Hospice. Uh, she's uh, going to tell us about that, and she's brought some hearts that are um, you fill out your name from and make a donation, and she's going to tell you all about that. Uh, before okay. I start, I want to say this about uh, Greg McIntyre. Uh, I've learned a lot from you. You've come to some of the um, uh, end-of-life uh, conferences that we've had at different churches, like First Baptist Lawndale, and you and your partner is just so willing to teach us, and that's what's, what the community needs. They need teaching. They need understanding that we do need to go ahead and prepare for death. We need to look at our assets. I'm one, too, that's going to uh, step up to the plate this year and look more 
at, at what's going on. So my kids won't have to deal with a whole lot of problems when I die. So, Greg, I thank you so much for what you do for Cleveland County as well. Uh, let me talk a little bit about Hearts for Hospice. It's a, um, it's a fundraiser that we started uh, five years ago. Actually, my beautician, Teresa Price, talked me into this. I mean, she almost had to tie me to a post and whip me down because I didn't want to do it. But anyway, it's been a very profitable uh, fundraiser, only asking people for a $1 donation. We have a heart uh, that uh, Pam Isaac, our marketer, uh, uh, created and it's called Hearts for Hospice and it's two lines in memory or of in honor of from and you can buy a heart for a dollar and um, we will post it up on our wall you can keep it yourself but all the money that you contribute to Hearts for Hospice goes for patient care so this is a unique thing about Hearts for Hospice we started asking people for a dollar and the first year it was predicted we wouldn't raise $500, but we raised $4,000. Wow. In the last five years, we've raised almost $27,000 with Hearts for Hospice because people will give a dollar. Some people will give a hundred. So it just kind of evens out. And some of the children want to buy a heart. They only have a quarter. I said, that's all okay. right. So please so call me. Can they get them? Can um, we take some and give them out yes, of our office? I will mail them to you. Okay. Call me. I'll bring them to you. There's 25 in a pack. My number is 704-751-3591. Thank you. Well, we'll uh, get some from you. Hey, go ahead and give that number out again. Yeah. 704-751-3591. And that's my direct office number. Okay. I, I, you know, yeah, call call. And get uh, and get one of the hearts for hospice. Also, thank you, John. I just got dropped off the hotel. So also, well, we've got thirty seconds. If you hear traffic, it's the New York Manhattan traffic in the back. Okay, finish so, up the last thirty seconds for us, Greg. What's that? Finish up the last thirty seconds for us. Okay, so so call Sharon. Mm-hmm. Contribute to Hearts for Hospice. It's only a dollar. We're going to get a stack in our office too. Hey, I want to make it a mission. Okay. Okay. We want to. We want to have those plastered all over the place in our office. You can stop by McIntyre Elder Law um, at 123 West Marion Street in Shelby, North Carolina to purchase a heart for hospice as well. Okay? And uh, also next week, we're going to have an amazing show. So tune in to the Elder Law Report next week. I'm signing off from New York City. Um, and uh, just appreciate everybody out there listening. And uh, I'm going to go have lunch with Donald Trump, and we're going to talk about Ooh. estate planning. Okay? That sounds wonderful. Ask him for a donation for hospice. Please. I will. I will. Hey, Greg. All right. Greg. Yes, sir. This is Milton Baker. If uh, if you hey, cross Bill. if you cross the street and someone blows the horn at you, how about doing something for me? Say. Well, okay. Say. Say. Hey, I'm walking here. Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> and, hey, I, I thought you were going to tell me to tell them they're number one. No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. Hold my hand up. Tell them they're number one. I'll do yeah. that. And I'll say, Hey, I'm walking here. Hey, I'm walking right. here. <laughs> all right. Peace and love. Talk to you soon. All, all right. right. All right. Good show today, guys. All right. Hey. See you next Thank week, you. Milton. Thank all you. Right. All right, folks. Please join us again next Friday for the Elder Law Report. We'll see you then.
the subscription radio services have their opinion. You must pay for everything in this world one way and another. Now hold on, that's not true. There is nothing free. We are. Thanks for supporting free radio. Wait till it's too late. 